the things that I've walked through, the pain that I've walked through, has given me a hunger for God that I do not know that I would have without it. The pain that I have faced, the challenges that I have gone through, have literally been the things that have paved the way to his feet. And I mean, the story of my life is that I have drug the pieces of my broken soul into his presence every day. It's his story. It's his grace. It's his, it's his goodness. You know, there is no me without him. I don't, I don't deserve to be sitting here. I don't, I'm just a broken person um, who has found an incredible God who has been there every step of the way. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Our listeners and specifically our sponsors are so good to us that they give us um, a small monetary uh, amount uh, to operate on month to month. And it gives us the ability that where we've been lately, been able to travel. We've gone to some phenomenal places, Tony and I. We've gone to Kingsport, Tennessee. We've gone to um, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ohio. We got to drive over to Ohio. Uh, we've flown to St. Louis before. And now here we are in Wisconsin. We recently we just um, I can't I don't know exactly the timing of our podcast or they came as they've come out. But last night we were in Appleton, Wisconsin, and today we're um, outside of Milwaukee. We actually stayed in Milwaukee last night, and and it's awesome because the sponsors um, have been able to make that possible, Tony. I am glad to be here, and I'm glad to have a crucial conversation here. And, and where exactly are we? Are we in Milwaukee? Or are we outside of Milwaukee? Uh, and and I didn't even whenever we were pulled in, I didn't even think to get the name of the church. Where are we at right now? You are in Mecklen, Wisconsin, at Christian Life Church. Awesome. Well, it's great. it was awesome. Uh, yeah, for, I noticed we're not in the south anymore because we're sitting in a conference room and I see a lot of snow out there. Oh, and, and the thing is with me uh, being more from the south, I've never even seen that much snow in my life. Our our snow is like most an inch thick, and and this is like four inches out here. This is pretty cool to be. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, like Brian said, um, I'm going to introduce our guests in kind of a different way. Uh, when we were coming to Wisconsin, we actually had uh, a prior guest of ours, Brother Donnie Copeland, say, I have a friend that lives in Wisconsin. you got to make sure to go by there. And so he gave me his contact information, and Pastor Hanthorne, unfortunately, was not out of town. But he said, listen, don't stop that from coming because I have somebody in my church. You've, she's got a story that she's, that's got to be heard. With that being said, I'm not going to be, don't let, let our guests think I'm being disrespectful here. I'm only saying your first name because I can't pronounce your last name. <laughs> We've got Sister Megan, what's your last name? Nahera. Yes, with us today. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I know you've told us this really isn't uh, your forte, but thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and having a conversation with us. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. No problem. So tell us a little bit about where you come from. Um, tell us a little bit about your story. How did all this get started? Because you've you've not always been in the role that you're in. You've not always been in Wisconsin. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Absolutely. Um, I grew up in an apostolic church um, about four hours from here. My parents had 
uh, been hippies. They got saved when I was one. My dad got the Holy Ghost when I was one. And actually, my mom didn't really start coming to church or receive the Holy Ghost until I was about six years old. And when they came to church, they sort of went all in. We went to the private Christian school at our church. Um, my parents loved Jesus. They served in a lot of just servant capacities. They gave people rides to church. They, my dad glued the songbooks when they started falling apart. You know, the old brown sing unto the Lord songbook. Um, they were just servants. My mom worked at our Christian school and really were um, such a key piece of my life and who I've become today. I love my parents. I loved God. I remember receiving the Holy Ghost when I was seven years old, always felt I had a call of God in my life. Kind of throughout all my teenage years, just assumed that I would be involved in ministry. That was just always kind of my default setting. I'll end up being a pastor's wife. I had a passion for youth ministry. Always thought of myself as a good girl, quote unquote. I mean, I know looking back now, I can see maybe that I wasn't so much, but I had always, um, you know, I didn't, I just really strove to please God. I remember being the one to start prayer meetings and just kind of being a leader in our youth group in a lot of different ways. It was the girl that the parents would say, we're so glad that we have somebody that our kids can look up to somebody like you. And when I was 18 years old, um, Oh, there's some pieces of things that happened in my teenage years um, that I don't want to go too deep into, but really one of the key relationships of my teenage years um, really has been one of the greatest sources of, of pain from my life. It was somebody that was in a leadership role and, um, And I don't really want to go into a lot of details with that, but it was something that left me with a lot of pain, a lot of disillusionment. And when I was 18, I had never kissed a guy. I'd never, you know, I'd always said I was going to be a virgin when I got married. Um, and again, just kind of, I guess, running from, partially running from the pain of the situation, I think, and partially also to pursue the call of God that I felt in my life. I decided to go to Bible school. And I remember having a conversation with my pastor and talking to him about going to Bible school. And I remember he cautioned me. He started kind of listing kids from our church that had gone to Bible school, that had fallen through the cracks or had walked away from God. And there was quite a lengthy list. And he really cautioned me and said, I don't feel like it's something that you should do. And I think that's such a key piece of my story. And I always tell people now, listen to the authorities in your life. He saw things in me that I didn't see. It was not a good decision, but I went. He didn't forbid me, and so I didn't feel like I was necessarily disobeying. He just gave me a very, very strong word of caution. And um, so I ended up going to Bible school and very quickly kind of got involved in a situation that went south very, very fast. Um, I had met a guy um, at Youth Congress that year, actually. And in the process of things, um, I was there for just a short time. One night he asked me if I could borrow my roommate's car. I, he said we would go get something to eat, borrowed the car, and the next thing I know, um, we were on the side of the road and 
I ended up losing my virginity that night. It was not anything I had planned on. It was not anything that I had even considered a possibility. I will not say it was rape. I didn't fight. Um, but again, just certainly something that was totally unexpected. And from there, I just spent a year kind of looking back on it now. I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but just seeking attention, seeking comfort, looking for somebody to make me feel better. And um, there's so much that happened with, with that story that I really just can't go into. But there was a guy at my work um, who was a manager there. He was not in church. He kept asking me out, asking me out, asking me out. No, you're not safe. No, I'm not going to go out with you. And finally I um, said, okay, I'll go out with you. We went out and started dating him. And within a couple of months, I was pregnant. And so I left Bible school with a lot of shame. Um, it was actually in, during the summer of that year. But um, obviously just a completely different person from who I had thought I was when I went there. And did not get married immediately. I did not want to just jump to marriage because I had a child. Um, I knew that I would never abort. That was never even an option um, in my mind, but didn't necessarily know what the road ahead was going to look like. I contemplated adoption. I'm so glad that I kept her in this moment, even though I'm such a huge, huge fan of adoption. Um, I had my daughter. She's just turned 21 a couple of weeks ago. And no she's, way. Yes. You don't look like you're old enough to have a 21-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely old enough. Um, and so had her and ended up getting married when she was seven months old. My husband, um, Andrew, was Catholic. And so here I am, this girl who grew up thinking, really, I don't want to say I like thought of myself as a good girl, but I just never saw my life taking this kind of drastic turn and found myself just at an incredibly, incredibly broken place. Um, we moved, once we got married, we moved to Phoenix, and we lived there for about two and a half years. Um, during that time, again, I loved God. I believed in God, but I did not know if I believed in the apostolic message. I was so disillusioned with leadership. I had seen some very, very hard things at this point. Um, I'd been very disappointed by a number of people in my life, people that really probably should have been looking out for me and helping me were instead the source of pain in my life. And that causes you to question a lot of things. And so, um, I did not, I tried a couple of apostolic churches, just nothing really fit. My husband had never really gone to church. He wanted to go to church, to Catholic church at this point. And so we just made a compromise and went to non-denominational church. And um, we did that for a couple of years. And, and really I came, came to a place where I just said, I will never go back to apostolic church. I, I couldn't do it. I don't know that I really became very, very bitter, but I did wrestle with a lot, a lot of unforgiveness and a lot of condemnation, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Um, I, when I had come back from Bible school, I would 
really not even go to church. It was just too painful. I don't think people meant to be judgmental, but I think they just didn't know what to do or how to treat me. And therefore that came across to me like judgmentalism. And it was just easier not to go to church than it was to go and deal with that and all the feelings that were associated with that. I would definitely want to interject there because Brian and I have met this person that I have no doubt in my mind she'd be okay with us telling her a little bit of her story. As a matter of fact, she's um, a, a big support of our podcast. Um, a lot like you, she went to a Bible college that, however, she was not Pentecostal um, or apostolic or anything like that. She went to a Bible college freshly out of high school as well and found herself in the same circumstances. She did get pregnant um, at Bible college and she did decide to have the baby as well. And um, at the most crucial part in her life, um, when she had, when she, when she was pregnant at the age of 19 with the father wanting nothing to do with the child or her, um, she came back and needed the support of her family and church, but her family and her church turned her back on her. And she said, that's when I needed what the church was supposed to represent the most. Why is it that you think that... Um, churches and families do that? I don't know. That's a difficult question to answer. And I can't say that I would say I had that same exact experience and that they turned their back on me. My family was incredibly supportive. My mom drove to California to pick me up. I cannot imagine being in her shoes. Were you nervous telling your parents that? Oh my word. Like that is probably the worst phone call I've ever had to make in my whole entire life. Like absolutely beyond beyond nervous um and again it's going back to the church turning their back on me i don't even want to say that they turned their back on me there just was not an overflow of support there nobody said anything Mm -hmm. no people really didn't talk to me i do remember um my old principal brother nichols he's probably one of the most incredible influences in my whole life there was a time he was back on deputation he was at a christmas program and i had happened to go to church that night and he just said something very simple. He just came up and talked to me. I don't even remember the exact sentence or two that he said, but just something very supportive and Jesus loves you and you're going to be okay, something like that. And that moment of just feeling affirmation from somebody that this did not have to be an epitaph on my life mm-hmm. um, really was so profoundly impacting. But I didn't necessarily have that experience. So again, I don't think the church turned its back on me. It's just people don't know what to do. It's such a taboo thing. We hadn't, you know, growing up, you didn't talk about this. I mean... There's a question that I wrote down here as you were talking that what would you say to the girl that has found herself in the same circumstances that you were in, but has found herself pregnant, not on her terms, but unlike you, abortion is an option? So I would say if you cannot personally raise the child, consider adoption. But you, either way, you will be missing out on the greatest blessing of your life or the greatest blessing of somebody else's life. A baby is a gift from God. Do not even, do not even consider it an adoption or consider it an option. Um, not only that, but the ramifications, the psychological impact of abortion on ladies is something that we do not hear enough about. Mm-hmm. It is very deeply damaging to people's psyche. It is, you know, something that we've just made so commonplace in this day and age and so easily accessible. But the emotional scars that are left on women are incredibly, incredibly deep. Yeah. And impacting for life. I would I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt your story. I just had those two bunny trails like you were talking about go through my head while you were talking so t- take us back your your mom 
gets in the car and drives to California to come pick you up. How what was that like? Um, you know, I my mom never made me feel ashamed. I look back at it now and I'm so thankful. I mean, obviously she wasn't in support of the decisions I've made, probably didn't understand all the details of the story or how I'd gotten to that moment, but she did not make me feel ashamed. Um, again, my family was very supportive. I, they brought me back to Wisconsin. I lived with them for seven months until I got married. Um, my mom watched the baby while I worked. My parents were, were just an incredible support during that time. Um, so kind of fast forwarding to, I think I talked a little bit about my time in Phoenix mm-hmm. and stop yes. me if I'm... Yeah, the last thing I remember is you talked about how you had moved to Phoenix. We moved to Phoenix. Um, again, my husband's Catholic. I'm apostolic, really, really confused, really, really disillusioned, don't know what I believe. We had a child that was one pound, 13 ounces. Um, what? One pound, 13 ounces? One pound, 13 ounces. My I was 11 child. pounds, eight ounces. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've got him beat. <laughs> my, my mom still hasn't forgave me. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> that would be a bitter pill to swallow. Um, I had a child who was one pound, 13 ounces. He was in the NICU for eight weeks. And during that time, my mom came for three weeks, my grandparents came for three weeks, my husband's mom came for three weeks, and it really just became very obvious that we needed family nearby. We had no family there. I was very, I think my husband was sick of hearing me cry myself to sleep. Not only was I just a broken person, broken by my choices, by other people's choices, broken by life, very disillusioned. I just was very lonely. I had no friends there. I made a couple of like loose connection friends. at church and at work, I worked just a few hours a week. And, but I didn't have any deep connection. My whole world revolved around my daughter. And so we decided to move back to Wisconsin. When we did, um, we again tried to go back to a non-denominational church. And it was a huge church, just sort of fell through the cracks. It was about a month of going there, not really meeting anybody and, my sister was coming to Christian Life Church. And even though I had basically come to the point where I had said I will never go back to an apostolic church, I decided I would just start coming every once in a while. And the church really wrapped their arms around me. I don't know what they knew of my story. I really don't know. I could not even think about my story or think about somebody knowing my story without just literal physical sickness from the level of shame that I wore from my story. Um, And so I started coming to church here. Again, all my previous, you know, thoughts of being in ministry totally just, it wasn't even a blip on the radar. I didn't even consider that to be an option anymore. Um, My husband did not come to church with me. I came by myself for about two and a half or three years. He was adamantly opposed to it. Whereas before he had kind of just been a, maybe a Christmas and Easter kind of, Christian or Catholic, he started to dig into different things to try to refute me. And um, so that's kind of an interesting piece of the story because he ends up um, being in ministry at this point. Um, But just, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the map, but I really think um, one of the key pieces of my story when we moved back here, I was again, just wrestling through a lot of unforgiveness. Um, First of all, from the situations that had happened in my teenage years. Um, 
dealing with unforgiveness and frustration with that. Um, Dealing with all my own shame from my own decisions. Dealing with, you know, now I'm in an unequally yoked situation. All this stuff going on. I remember driving on Highway 94 in a black Jeep from my mom's house to Milwaukee. And we were somewhere near Black River Falls. And I was just kind of talking through all this stuff with her. And she said a line to me that really revolutionized my life. She said, Megan, you need to pray about it. And I got defensive in that moment. I remember looking out the car window and I remember saying to her, Mom, I do pray. I pray when I'm washing dishes. I pray when I'm folding laundry. And God spoke to me in that moment and said, you need to get on your knees and pray. And so the next, I made a promise to God that I would read my Bible and pray every day for the rest of my life. And I have not, <laughs> not kept that promise faithfully. But to the best of my ability, I have tried to do that. And I had no idea what would grow out of that decision. If there's one beautiful thing in my life, it goes back to that moment and to that decision. Um, I remember kneeling down the next day. I did not know how to pray. I had read my Bible as a teenager a little bit and again, loved God, but I never really just like got to know God in his word and in his presence. I think my experience had been more encounters with God in an altar, you know, in a corporate setting, um, but not as much personally. And so I knelt down that day, really didn't know where to begin and had a mountain of hurt to work through. And I began to realize that I did not know what I believed. Um, And I came to a place where I just said I could have been born into a Muslim home. I could have been born into a Buddhist home. I could have been born into a Catholic home. At the end of the day, I do believe there's an eternity. I do believe there's heaven and hell. I do believe there's right and wrong. I do believe there's a God. I do believe in the word of God. And I have to, as the Bible says, um, work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Because at the end of the day, I can't just be apostolic because it's what I've been taught. I have to know. And so I really just went on a quest to figure out what I believed in the word of God. I had to figure out if I believed that the Holy Ghost was essential. I really didn't at that point. I had to figure out what I believed, oneness versus trinity. I really didn't know what I believed at that point. Um, I had to just figure out a lot, a lot, a lot of things and kind of carve out this place in the Word of God and allow God to build a foundation for me, not just because of what I had been taught. And... um, In the process of that, um, looking back, I can see how it wasn't just so much me figuring out what I believe doctrinally, but God began to heal my heart in that process. God began to just really do an incredibly deep work. And kind of going back to the piece of my husband not being saved, Um, initially when I started reading my Bible and praying, it was in the afternoon. My kids would take a nap. Well, eventually they stopped taking naps. So I would get up really early in the morning. I'm not a morning person, but I started getting up at five o'clock in the morning when he would go to, or I think 530 back at that time when he would go to the gym. And he has told people um, before that he had never seen that before. He had never seen somebody actually pray and how that really just changed his mind and how convicting that was for him. And there was a point, I mean, he was so adamantly against Pentecost and against the apostolic faith. There was a point that um, 
my daughter had followed, or my daughter had invited him to church one Sunday morning and he literally he is not a violent person he's not a yeller he's not really an angry person he followed me down the stairs screaming at me i will never go to your church i will never go to your church but again god just began to work on his heart there were other people that were reaching out to him my mom my brother-in-law and on um march 2nd 2003 he ended up getting the holy ghost and getting baptized and um, it's been quite an incredible journey um, from there. I know I'm going on and on. Stop me, ask questions, oh, jump in. So I, I do have a question. You, you said that before your mom, and your, and I believe you were in the Jeep, and said, um, you need to pray about it, and you kind of got offended towards that. Before that, what was your relationship with God like during all that confusion? Because you still attempted to... Uh, to build a relationship, you were just confused. What was that relationship like? Because you'd said, you know, you prayed while you did the dishes and laundry and you tried out different churches. You just didn't know what you believed. What was your relationship like during those those times? Um, I would say it was very much just based on going to church. Um, and, and I did have conversations with God, so there was like some relationship there, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't daily. It wasn't the pattern of my life by any stretch of the imagination. Probably more just a lot of confusion in my mind that I would sometimes talk to God about. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, whenever um, your husband did come to the truth, and he's a licensed minister now, correct? Yes, sir. Um, what did that do to you? Because it connected your uh, childhood to this long in-between confusion, not knowing what you're believing to, um, back to what you originally believed and, you know, submitted yourself and tried to grow in. Did you think um, that the purpose God had for your life in the beginning is still um, what God's bringing you to today? Or is it something that, you know, there's a lot of detours in it and um, you had to go through these certain things to get where you're at today. Do you, do you still think that that ministry you had as a child, that you were the first one in the lead in the prayer and everything when you were in the youth, is that something that's connected to now? What is your heartbeat right now? And so some of it was unavoidable, but the part that was my fault, I wish I could, I wish I could say, or I would tell other people, keep sin out of your life. Don't ever go down that path so yeah it was the long road i don't know that i was required to go through those things yeah but god certainly has used them and worked in spite of them yes he and he will never waste anything you know i i do believe that it is our greatest pain and our lowest moments sometimes our greatest failures that birth the deepest empathy for people when you recognize your need for mercy you have no option but to offer mercy to other people um when you know what it's like to be broken, when you know what it's like, I mean, I, I can see shame in other people's eyes. I was talking to a lady last week and she said, um, thank you for not making me feel like a bad person. And I just, I started crying because I know what it's like to hear all those voices in your head. I know what it's like to hear those accusations. And I try to just 
want to be a voice of hope in other people's life that wherever you've been whatever road you've walked down whatever has brought you to this moment it doesn't have to be the defining factor on your future there's still hope no matter where this moment finds you mm-hmm. so i know i kind of just took a big circle and probably really didn't fully answer your yeah, question you did, for sure but yeah god has really brought it full circle i remember um my husband and i so just really super quick i i think i had said i never even thought had ministry yeah. as a thought in the back of my mind when i started coming back to church started teaching Sunday school. Um, when Andrew came to church, he started teaching Sunday school with me. We taught Sunday school for a number of years. And there was a conversation we were in one time where, um, right when we were in pastoral transition between our old pastor and current pastor, um, one of the youth parents said, oh, there's nobody to take our kids to rallies. There's nobody to do anything with the kids. And I was like, well, we'll take them to rallies. Like, we can do that. You know, just like thinking we're volunteering for a couple of weeks, you know, to <laughs> <Yeah>. do something. <laughs> and it turned out to be five and a half years of of being youth pastors. And yeah. Some of the best years of our lives. Who was it that told us, Brian, that uh, you you got to be careful about saying somebody ought to do that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't remember that one. God will impress it on you to do it for sure. Uh, so um, I do want to bring something up real quick. You were talking about um, your prayer life, and I'm glad you brought that up. We were just with another guest, um, and he gave me a book that was entitled God on Mute. Well, it, instantly caught my attention because the cover was really cool. And apparently you can judge a book by its cover is what he said. And uh, so I, for me, I'm not a big reader like Brian is. For me, if it doesn't catch me within the first couple paragraphs, I, I just can't focus on it. It instantly had my attention. And um, this, this guy had been in church his entire life and that wrote this book. And he's telling the story about how everything was perfect in his life. He had the perfect family, had the perfect kids until all of a sudden his wife came down with this sickness and, um, he didn't know what to do. And it was then he knew that when the doctor made the statement, there's nothing else we can do. You're going to have to solely depend on God and your faith. And it was at that point he was pastoring a church. He was raised in church. He he knew the whole Christian lifestyle. But he said it was in that point in my life I really didn't know how to pray. And it's sad that it takes us to a point in our life. It takes something taking us to a point in our life that makes us realize that we don't know how to pray and the importance of prayer and that communication. Um, and before you got on record, you told us a little bit about what you're very passionate about. And that was one of the things you said uh, was prayer. Can you take the next few minutes and, and talk about the importance of prayer in your prayer life and what kind of journey that's that's become and um, really just speak on the importance of that to our listeners for a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm not a professional prayer. I think prayer is just a conversation with God. But Bible reading and prayer are such a huge huge piece of my own personal story, my own personal testimony, my passion to see healing. Jesus came to set at liberty the captives. He came to heal the broken in heart. He came to bind up their wounds. And so much of that happens in the Bible, in Bible reading, and in prayer. And um, I really believe that we overcomplicate prayer a lot of times. Prayer is flipping your heart inside out. David wrote in Psalm 51, you desire truth in the inward parts. And I think a lot of times... Um, we think prayer has to sound a certain way. It has to be certain words. Um, but really, I think the posture of prayer is so much more important than the words that we say. Jesus 
loves brokenness when he talked about um, there's the parable that he gave about the publican and um, I think the Pharisee, forgetting right off the top of my head, but you know, the one man gets up and says, thank you that I'm not like other men. And the other man beats upon his breast. And Jesus commends the man who was just broken and just honest about who he was. God is drawn to vulnerability. He's drawn to brokenness. He's drawn to the things that we think would repel him, the yes. things that we think would cause him to run the other direction. He already knows it all. Um, Pastor Hanthorne taught a series years ago called Ugly Prayers, and I think that that really is the heartbeat of prayers, is the uglier the prayer, the better the prayer in God's eyes. He doesn't. He is not looking for form. He's not looking for routine. He's looking for somebody just to bear their soul to him. And it's in that vulnerability that relationship is birthed. It's in that vulnerability that healing takes place. And there's just stuff that you cannot process through with another person. There's pain that is so deep that it wouldn't matter how you tried to describe it to another person, another person would not be able to understand because pain is very individual and nobody else has been there through every moment. But God walks with us through it all and he's there to hear and and nothing we say can turn him off or you know make him run away. And so I really think prayer is... Again, such a key part of my story, but really anybody that's facing any kind of life challenges or personal brokenness, it, it is such a key piece of healing and such a key piece of um, just walking with God, learning him, learning his heart. What does shame look like? And the reason why I ask is because you talked about how you can see shame on on some bringing back going back to something you said previously, uh, when you talked about how there was the lady you were speaking with and how you could you can see shame on people. What is what what does shame look like? Wow, that's probably hard to articulate. I think in her eyes, I saw really a combination of shame and hopelessness. Mm -hmm. There was just sort of this despair. It was hollow. It was empty. Um, it's just, I, I couldn't really put it into words. I couldn't articulate it. It's just something that I can recognize. I felt hopeless before. Mm -hmm. I felt despair before. I felt like this is the end of the world before. And I think it's just something I can see when I, when I see a person, um, there's really a moment in my life, um, that God kind of caused me. I was on the streets of Chicago one day and I was just walking on Michigan Avenue, walking on State Street, going to the cool shops, going to the cool restaurants. Doing... There's a lot of great stuff on Michigan. <laughs> there is. There's so many fun things. Um, but I just had this experience, and I know this doesn't directly tie back to your mm -hmm. question about shame, but um, it was like God, I don't know if he put a lens on me or he took a lens off, but I just saw how hollow people are, mm -hmm. and I saw how devoid of hope people are and how meaningless life is and you have you know in that snapshot of michigan avenue you have the lowest of the low you have the panhandlers and you have the people that are out there doing their act for you know a dollar in the jar and you have people driving teslas and you have people carrying burberry bags and you have people you know 
wearing the finest things, plastic surgery, beautiful to look at, but they just have no hope. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I guess from that moment, God has really just helped me see that people are people and pain is universal. No matter what it took to get there, no matter what brokenness looks like, everybody faces it and everybody wrestles through it. And so many people try to mask over it. They try to mask the shame. And it's like, we mask it with success. We mask it with things. We mask it with... We've referred to uh, this sermon that I'm going to talk to a couple of times, but at Arkansas District Camp a couple of years ago, um, there was a guy that preached about that, um, that he he would hide behind his mask as a preacher. And um, it seemed like every fa facet in life, he would put another mask on. And um, he said, but people didn't know that whenever his wife and kids would go off to school and work, that he would turn around and go back home, take his clothes back off and get back in bed because he was in such a depression. And it got so bad to this pastor, United Pentecostal preacher pastor, that... Um, he was laying in bed saying, God, if I knew I could make it to heaven, I would I would take the gun out of my, my safe and just end it right now. And he said it, he went through a process of having to remove those masks one layer at a time. So it's very weird that you say that because that is something that stuck with me. I'll never forget that sermon. That He said that he was just constantly taking these different masks off. And it wasn't until he got that last mask off that God said, finally, I can deal with you because you're willing to be real. And so I want you for just a couple more minutes to talk about the importance of being vulnerable and open because you're in a spot in your life where you had to be, you, you, you couldn't hide behind a mask anymore. It's kind of hard to put a pregnant belly behind a mask. Mm -hmm. um, so I want you to talk about the importance of, you know, being open and vulnerable and, and what that did for you. I would tell them to stick with the process not the end repent draw close to God get as close to God as you can he's gonna be your refuge because yes again there's just things you have to walk through in life that nobody can walk through with you um, find a refuge on your knees find a refuge in his word and in his presence and I know it probably sounds cliche when I'm saying it but when you're in deep dark situations like that where I didn't have a choice but to you know for people to see my situation like you said um there's so many emotions that you face there's so many things that you go through and more than likely you're not just dealing with that one situation you're dealing with layers of emotions and layers of things from your past and the only place to process that really is again just at the feet of Jesus yes I think that's the best advice I would just say get out of get to his feet you're talking about the layers of your past how do you negotiate uh living the life that you live now having so many layers of your past have you had to go on, go back through and and some of these people maybe not a face-to-face -face interaction of hey i forgive you but have you had to emotionally forgiven those people and come to a place where uh where the attitudes or the thoughts you've had towards them god has had to work on you to change the way you've seen your past Oh my word, absolutely, absolutely. On two fronts, number one, on forgiving other people, and number two, on wrestling through guilt, condemnation, and shame. Um, forgiveness was such a journey for me. I remember I heard a sermon 
was on a white cassette tape. Um, it was preached by a man named Joe Veely, and he preached a sermon called The Greatest Commandment, and it was about forgiveness. And I just remember literally for several years playing that sermon every time I was in my car, and he talked about willing yourself to forgive. And I, he said, you might have to look yourself in the eyes every day in the mirror and just say, I will myself to forgive. Forgiveness is a decision. And I did that for several years and really just made a choice that I was going to forgive. I would go to different events. I would see people from my past. My blood would just boil. It was just instant emotion, instant anger, instant sadness. So much involved in that process. Um, and when really a key moment in my path of forgiving, um, when Pastor Hanthorne came here, we did a book of the month. And the first book that we did was Bait of Satan. There were things I thought I had forgiven. There were things I, I had already been about seven years in this process of when I had started reading my Bible, started praying, started listening to this sermon, really just being very intentional with my relationship with God. And I thought I was over some of the things from my past, but there was days I would read that book and literally scream into my couch at the top of my lungs. Like God just unpacked such deep things in my heart through the through that book, through the process of reading that book. And again, just kind of did a whole nother layer of healing and a whole nother layer of forgiveness. And I have people that, like I said before, I would see them and my blood would boil and I would be so angry. I have I could see them now. I can't say that the relationships are reconciled, mm -hmm. but I do not have any type of hostility toward them, any type of vengeful feelings, any type of, it's probably more mercy and compassion for them that I have at this point than, again, anger or hostility or bitterness. Um, God has just done really, really deep work. And I, I personally believe forgiveness is something that we don't talk about enough. Forgiveness is such a key piece of healing. You cannot expect to heal personally if well, you're it's a key full piece. of poison it's a key piece but it's one of the hardest things to do it is one of the hardest things yeah. to do forgiveness takes you out of the place of god just like joseph said to his brothers am i in the place of god we can't hold we can't get revenge on somebody else i mean joseph is such an incredible story when it comes to forgiveness when it comes to extending mercy to people that are so so undeserving and it is one of the hardest things to do and i know this because so many people that i talk to tell me that it's so hard. It's hard to let go, to release, but it is just a choice that is enabled by the grace of God. We cannot forgive on our own, just like we cannot love on our own. We cannot, you know, so many things just require being plugged into God and forgiveness flows through us, plugged into God and love flows through us. It's not something that we can manufacture, but I do believe there is an absolute choice to forgiveness. Also, there's a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, doesn't mean you're going to forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it's immediate reconciliation. Forgiveness is not a memory eraser. Um, I always kind of see forgiveness like we can't help that we're going to get wounds in life, whether we wound mm -hmm. ourselves, whether other people wound us. But forgiveness is a choice to disinfect that wound because the smallest wound can cause an amputation. I mean, people have died over small wounds because that that wound was infected. And so again, just choosing to release the other person. So many times people are mad at people or holding bitterness, hostility towards people. The person on the other side of the equation doesn't even know that they're bitter towards them. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's really, it's like anti-venom. 
You know, a snake bite's not going to kill you. It's the venom that's injected. And it keeps your wounds from being fatal. Wounds don't have to be, be fatal. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a long answer, but yes, I have had to work through a lot of forgiveness. It has been a process of years and years. I still have to work through it. I've had to learn to forgive in the moment. I think mm-hmm. choosing not to be offended. And sometimes people say things to me and like, I want to get offended. Just like, I'm forgiving you right now. Just like Stephen, he just forgave in that moment. Jesus forgave in that moment. Right. Um, so long um, answer. So, uh, so if there's someone out there that um, going going through the troubles from their past, going through situations in their life, and they're getting to the place now where they're frustrated at God, and they think, well, what it, well there isn't even any value in any of this God stuff anymore. People talk about reading your Bible, talking about praying, talk about speaking, trying to speak in tongues, or people talk about journaling or or what, all this stuff, and they say, well, that's just so there. There's no real value in that. Um, what have you seen? as far as the true value in the healing and restoration process of our lives that these things actually play and how they're not just things that we recommend people to do because it's just what Christians recommend, but there's actual benefits to it. Um, that is a really good question. There's a lot to that. I believe so wholeheartedly. Sometimes I see people and I talk to people and I think to myself, if I could just get this person to commit Mm -hmm. to the discipline, because that's what it is. It's a discipline. Like you said, it's not just something we recommend like, oh, this might be a good optional thing for you to do. We were designed for relationship with God. We were designed to run on the word of God and the presence of God. And that's how we were designed to function. And so many people try to live their Christian lives without any fuel. It'd be like owning a Lamborghini and never putting gas in it. Well, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to rust out. So many people live in starvation mode. Even people that go to church three times a week, they eat Sunday morning, they eat Sunday night, they eat Wednesday night. If we treated our bodies like that, we would A, be very unhealthy. Number two, when we did eat, our bodies wouldn't know how to process it. I did a really interesting study, by the way, on starvation. I would recommend it. It was so cool. Um, just to parallel it to the spiritual because when you're starving there's crazy stories out there of people eating boots of people eating toothpaste of people eating all kinds of things they don't need to eat there's just the bible does something as far as satisfy our soul because it is the word of god um not only for healing but for preserve preservation um there's things i i can look back and say i would not have made it through my life if it was not for the fact that i had deposits of the word of god in my heart um in my life so it's not I don't just say to read the Bible and pray to be healed because there's some people that might not be at that place of thinking they need healing but it's something your heart is a bank account and whatever you're filing away there is what you're gonna have to draw from in the future you don't know what you're signed up for you don't know what diagnosis you're gonna get tomorrow you don't know what questions you're gonna have to face in the future you don't know what trial is around the corner nobody knows what they're signed up for Um, And so it is definitely something that I wholeheartedly think is a non-negotiable in a Christian walk. If we're going to know God, um, Jesus quoted Hosea and he said that he desired the knowledge of God more than sacrifice. Um, God wants to be known. He doesn't want just to be us to go through rote, routine, ritual, come to church X amount of times a week, put in this amount on our ties check do you know check off these religious boxes he wants it to be so much more than that he wants to be relationship but above and beyond that um, over the years um, I've kind of I've run across 
true research from people that are doing scientific studies for the power of um, journaling, Bible reading, solitude. Um, I brought a couple of different articles with me. Um, science proves that this, the title of this article says five ways solitude can make you more successful backed by science. Part of the power of daily devotions is that you have to be alone with your thoughts. You have to be alone with yourself, with you and God, nobody else. There's incredible power with just being alone, um, stopping the crazy fast pace of our lives and slowing down with our own thoughts, with God's it's thoughts. It's therapeutic. It is very therapeutic, just that piece of it alone. Um, recently, our student pastor showed me a video um, with some statistics from the Center for Bible Engagement. They've done a study, and I should show you the video later on, but um, they've done a study with people that are in the Word of God one time a week has almost negligible effects in people's life. People that are in the Word of God two times a week, and this could be just church attendance, this could be Bible reading, whatever that looks like. Um, people that are in the Word of God two times a week, three times a week, almost negligible effects. There's a little blip on the map at three times a week. They've studied hundreds of thousands of people. Once it goes to four times a week, when a person is in the Word of God four times a week, the statistics are really remarkable. Um, I'm just going to see if I can find a couple of these so I don't um, misquote them. The odds of getting drunk are 50% 7, 50 per 7, 57. Thank you. I can talk. 57% lower. <laughs> um, pornography goes down 61%. Feelings of loneliness go down 31%. There's, it's really remarkable. Um, sharing your faith, the 228% higher odds. Discipling others, 231% higher odds. Um, so, and again, this is a true verifiable research study. So the things I've always thought about the Word of God and told people about the Word of God, science is proving that it's very, very cool. Um, there's research that talks about the power of journaling, that it's, um, this is a, a psychologist and he writes, writing is a powerful tool to organize overwhelming events and make them manageable. The mind torments itself by thinking about unresolved issues. By translating the experience into language, people begin to organize and structure the surge of overwhelming thoughts. Once organized, these are easier to resolve. Um, it basically has the same health benefits, psychological benefits as a session with a psychotherapist, just because, um, as somebody once said, thoughts disentangle themselves as they pass through the lips or the fingertips. And so that goes back to the power of prayer and I believe the power of writing. Um, so much of my healing has come as I have just had to force things out of a pen onto a piece of paper. So I know I am giving you a very, very, very long <laughs> yeah, answer right. to all of that, but... Mm -hmm. I do believe Bible reading and prayer is so much more than something that we just recommend to do. It has such incredible, incredible power on so many levels. If we really believe that that book is inspired from God and we don't read it or we read it as much as an atheist does, what does that really say? And this is this is not a question to really anyone in this room. This is a hypothetical question or a rhetorical question for our audience. If we are not reading the Word of God, what does it really say about do we really even believe it's God's Word? If we really believe that book was from God, that should motivate us to get a hold of that book. That book should be the most important thing that we could have a relationship with here on this earth because it is a message from another world. And, and many times people that are in church that believe the Bible is God's word and they read it as much as atheists do. 
I mean, really, what does it say about our what value we have in our God and what we really believe about the book that all of this is built around? Without that book, that and of course I'm pointing at her Bible she brought with me, uh, or with, with her, I'm sorry. <laughs> but every church is built, supposed to be based on this book. What is your relationship with the Word of God? Um, I'd like to transition and ask you a question now that uh, I've made all of our listeners mad. <laughs> um, how has how has motherhood changed you as a person? Wow. How has motherhood changed me as a person? I've been a mother since I was 20 years old, and it's mm-hmm. almost like, feels like it's been my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have said that oh. because now people are doing the math trying to figure out how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> they can know. I'll own it. I'm 42. Um, motherhood forces you to live for something outside of yourself. And I think I've really come to be identified as a mother. I'm in this place now where my kids are 18 and 21. And I will be very honest, I have found it a great struggle to kind of go through that transition process, that letting go, because I have been so defined by being a mother. Um, my kids kind of became the centerpiece of my world, um, especially for their, their young lives. Over the years, I've gotten this kind of bunny trailing away from that original question, but um, kind of got really very busy and and being that I started to get involved in ministry I think I got too heavily involved in ministry but motherhood has changed me in a lot of ways it's just very hard for me to go back to the time when I was 17 18 19 because those are such formative years of your life and I don't know Hmm. necessarily the contrast is I guess kind of hard to articulate yeah I was just wondering what, what you see now when you think about how beautiful it is that you've been a mother. Uh, you have two children or do you I have, have two, a third? Two. Just two. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, because I've never really asked the question before, how how it changes someone whenever. I'm going to tell you, I only have a two-year-old, and my world has changed completely. A child honestly tells you what's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, your priorities are changed, and your um, selflessness kind of grows. And just my wife has made it her mission to teach our daughter scriptures every month, new scriptures. And she's got to where she's quote can quote two now at the age of two. And it's investments like that that my wife is pouring into my daughter at such a young age that I am so thankful for. But as being a father, a girl dad, it's my absolute favorite thing to do. And um, I want to ask you a question on motherhood. Brian, that's a pretty cool topic. Never really thought of that. But um, on motherhood, they're to the point now. One of them's already there, but you have another 18-year-old, correct? They want to go off and do their own thing uh, miles away. How hard is that going to be for you to, uh, say, go? I know you touched on it just briefly a while ago, but I want you to kind of talk about that. And... um, understanding that God does have a purpose for their life. And sometimes it's hard for you as that mother to, to let that go into fruition. Mm. Very hard. I would say I've probably spent the last three to four years pre-grieving. Hmm. I've kind of gotten through some of it. 
again, just because pre-grieving, That's pre-grieving. Cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about deep mourning. Like you do become so identified as a mother and people are so dependent on you for so long for so many things um, that it's hard to see yourself in that role where they're not they're not going to need me they really don't necessarily need me now they're you know I mean they do in some ways don't get me wrong there's it, the needs just change yeah but it's very hard as a parent and this I'm sure everybody has their own unique experience I don't want to extrapolate my experience out onto everybody else but to realize that they're now at the point where they're going to make their own decisions maybe decisions that I might not approve of um in some cases I don't you know I don't know what's going to happen I mean I, it's this process of putting them in God's hands, releasing them into God's hands is a very emotional experience. Very emotional experience. I want to ask you one more question on mother. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've done that too all day yesterday. Last question on motherhood for me, and this is a hard question. It's, I know it's a heavy question. Um, but last night when we were with Pastor Aaron Soto, we talked a lot about mercies and grace. And um, thank God for those for his mercy and his grace. Um, but as a, a, a young person as yourself that made that mistake, what, what would you do if you were your mom in that situation now, as after you've lived through that already, um, what kind of grace and mercy do you think since you've went through that wisdom that you could help another mother right now that might be facing what your mother faced? That is a deep question. Um, I hope I would show, if it was my child, I hope I would show him the same mercy that I was shown. Um, I think not to turn your back on somebody. And whether it's my situation, whether it's, there's so many things that could fill in that blank. We watch our kids walk through so many things in this world. There's so many pitfalls. The world is out to to destroy them. And so... um, there's a lot of things that could fill in that blank, but I think, and I say this to myself, you know, to extend mercy, to extend compassion. And it's a fine line between overlooking their struggles and, or failures, whatever that might turn out to be, and condoning. You know, and I think that that's a hard line to walk sometimes. And I think that's where people, where we get stuck. We don't want to appear that we're condoning something. Therefore, we don't give the display of mercy, even if we feel it. And so I think just being quick to, to verbalize it. Because people fight hard internal battles. People fight incredible internal battles that we don't see on the surface. And if you're struggling, whether that's before failure, after failure... There's a lot of mind battles in that. And I think sometimes people just need a word of encouragement. Yes. They need to hear you can make it. They need to hear it's going to be okay. They need to hear this isn't the end. They need to hear I'm going to stick with you through this process. Um, And so I think it it would just be not just feeling the mercy, not just feeling compassion, but... But showing that, extending that to other people, a hug, shoulder to cry on, basic human compassion. How does God speak to you? How does God speak to me? Um, 
I believe God first and foremost speaks to us through his word. Amen. Um, that That's what was given to us that he wrote specifically to us. There's so many days where I will be reading my Bible and something just opens up that I totally didn't expect. For example, and I'll come back to the question just like mm-hmm. this is a quick bunny trail, but this year is December 1st and I was going to read uh, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 all throughout the month of December just kind of pattern or rotate through that and I thought to myself I'm going to skip the genealogies I've read this so many times what am I going to get out of the genealogies and God has taught me over and over again do not skip anything because you just never know um, what he's going to show you but this has been so powerful for me um, and just so ministered to me so personally I saw so I was like okay I'm just going to read it I got to verse three, and I've before I've seen that it lists Rahab, that it lists Ruth, and that it lists Uriah, but I've glossed over the fact that it lists Tamar, and it says in verse three, it says, "And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar," and God just broke me in that because if you know anything about the story of Tamar, it's Genesis chapter thirty-eight, which is one of the most scandalous stories of the whole Bible, and I'm always like, why is this in the middle? of Genesis. I preached a sermon on that. (laughs) God scripted four women into the 41 men in Matthew chapter 1, and all of them were outcasts. Tamar has this crazy scandalous story. Rahab was a foreigner and a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite. The Bible has said Moses had written in the law that a Moabite couldn't even enter into the sanctuary. Um, obviously we know the situation with David and Uriah, none of them belong there, but it's just such a picture of the grace and the mercy that God extends right there in the middle of the genealogy. So God speaks to me in Mm -hmm. his word, number one. Um, number two, sometimes he speaks to me when I write, I'll be just writing something and just, it flows, you know, and I know it's from God. Um, incredible sermon that I heard the other day about the simplicity of hearing the voice of God from Brother Joel Urshan at our midwinter camp last week. And I had a situation just kind of come in. (laughs) Oh, it is incredible. You should listen to it. Mm -hmm. But the next day I just had this experience and I've always really tried to like listen for impressions because I do think God speaks in impressions. But I had just a really cool situation unfold where I had just this impression to ask somebody if they're apostolic in a store. And I was like, that is so dumb, kept on going. Like, you know, you always want to ignore your, and finally ended up going back and asking the question. And it turned out to be a situation where I was able to give like this little mini Bible study right in the grocery store. The lady was very hungry. So God speaks through a lot of different ways. Sometimes he speaks through other people. He, he speaks through the preached word. I am such, I don't want to say I'm a fan of preaching, but we are saved by the foolishness of preaching. And mm-hmm. There is so many things that God has said to me over the years through the preached words. I would say number one, the word of God. Number two, probably the preached word of God. Um, Number three, probably impression, sometimes through friends. Um, Again, writing for me. I don't know if that list helps you. (laughs) Ryan, how does God speak to you? Because I was just sitting here thinking, how would I answer that question? For me, I have to be listening because God mm-hmm. speaks to me when I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, hold on. That was for, that was for me for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. And what, because like I told you off air, sometimes I feel like um, when I'm praying for something, it, I, I can't get an answer. I feel like, God, are you, are you listening to me? Is this just falling on deaf ears? Mm-hmm. And then it could be four or five days later, and then God speaks to me in a way that I wasn't expecting, whether it be from, a like you said, a man or f- from something that I, I just I, I'm just so happen to be listening to or uh, something that I, I read on a wall. I was like, oh, my word, that's that's what I was looking for. How, how does he speak to you? I, I think the best way would be how she described, um, obviously, God's written word, but... Mm-hmm. Um, 
like something specific to me would be I like the idea of impression because to me sometimes it'll be just like I know something and, and it's hard to describe what I mean by that it's just like uh, probably the easiest example would be whenever it comes to preaching um, being in an uh, assistant kind of a role in our church where I don't preach very often I'll just know this is what I'm going to preach whenever I get asked. And within usually the that 24-hour period, I'll get a phone call and say, hey, this next Sunday or Sunday such and such, we need you to preach. It's just like this impression that God uh, lets, lets me know in advance something that's coming up or, um, you know, whenever people, um, uh, sometimes I get impressions about individuals so that way I kind of can um, kind of, feel some of the, the spiritual uh, climate in their life and things like that. Um, and it's kind of, like I said, it's hard to describe because I'm, I'm still young enough in it. I'm still trying to negotiate through it and find out when it's bias and when it's God. And so um, I'm operating under a faith right now that it is from God. And if I mess up, I've just learned that that one wasn't me, so that way I know <laughs> yeah. I know better the next time. <laughs> yeah, and and so I mean I think that um, a lot of times there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. Yeah, and, and we get we get so upset with people that they'll uh, they'll give a word of prophecy to somebody, and the person's like, yeah, that's not so, and we want to damn them and condemn them and call them a false prophet. They were trying to be used of God. They made a mistake. They know next time what to fill for. and But because we want to create a climate of, oh, that's a false prophet because they gave this false word. And you, you don't allow anybody the lenience to make a mistake and to learn and to walk in the spiritual gifts. Because, I mean, I, one thing I, I want our listeners to take away from this, which I think is relevant to what I'm talking about right now, is a mistake is not the end of ministry. Because what we've talked about in in this conversation with Megan today is there have been things that happened in her life that were she didn't plan for, didn't see them coming. She had a call to ministry, and all these unexpected events that have come, these mistakes, were not the end of her ministry. Yes. It, the, the mistake does not have to be an end yes. of your ministry. But if you walk with God, you follow after God because... Through all the mistakes that we make, the most beautiful thing in it all is there's still the grace of God that can forgive and can develop us and grow us. And so yeah, you make a mistake trying to be used of God in spiritual gifts, but there's still the grace of God that's for you there because he can teach you and grow you in that gift. You made a mistake and you were in a relationship you shouldn't have been in. God's grace is still there that that doesn't have to be the end of your story. You weren't obedient to pastoral leadership. That doesn't have to be the end of your story. And so what through all of your story, Megan, has been the beautiful picture of God's grace? What, what do you see when you look back at all of it? What has been the most beautiful thing to take away from all the experiences that you've had in life, living for God, being in ministry, uh, your husband praying through the Holy Ghost, through it all, where, where, what would you say has been the most beautiful part of all of your story? Um, honestly, I think the relationship that I have with Jesus. I, I don't think, had I gone the traditional route of go to Bible school, marry a preacher, 
do youth ministry. I, I don't know. God, God would have used that. And I would certainly say that's the path I would recommend to anybody. Do it right. You know, again, keep sin out of your life. But the things that I've walked through, the pain that I've walked through, has given me a hunger for God that I do not know that I would have without it. The pain that I have faced, the challenges that I have gone through, have literally been the things that have paved the way to his feet. And I mean, the story of my life is that I have drug the pieces of my broken soul into his presence every day. It's his story. It's his grace. It's his, Amen. it's his goodness. You know, there is no me without him. I don't, I don't deserve to be sitting here. I don't, I'm just a broken person um, who has found an incredible God who has been there every step of the way. So I think honestly, that being number one, number two, being a love, for, a love for people. Um, I have a love for people. I have a love for broken people that I don't think I would otherwise have. We live in a world where we have a suicide pandemic. We have so many things facing us as a culture that we do not have answers for. And I think just being able to have empathy for broken people, being able to have compassion for broken people that I wouldn't know unless I was broken myself. And again, I would tell you, stay away from brokenness. If it's your decision, if you can avoid it, right. do everything you can. But on the other side of brokenness, get broken before God. He desired, you know, Psalm 51, uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, thou wilt not despise. Like that brokenness can lead you to him lead you to relationship with him and out of that comes healing he heals the broken in heart he binds up their wounds um, you don't have to stay broken but the effects of brokenness will remain after he's done the healing for me i'm not a carpenter i couldn't i couldn't build something brian if my life depended on it i could i could make it look halfway decent i think it wouldn't be firm it wouldn't be great um but in my life, it's the same way. I could have something in my life that I'm leaking here. Let me find some something to patch it up with so it don't drip so much. And then it just causes an issue somewhere. Or so I've got another hand trying to fix something while I'm holding something over here. But when I take it to God, who is a master carpenter in my life, it gets permanently fixed and it's fixed the correct way. It's fixed the, the right way. And I think so many times in our, our our spiritual walk with God that we think, I don't need God in this aspect of my life because I've got this under control. As long as he takes care of my finances or as long as he takes care of this or takes care of that, I don't need him over here. You know, I can do all that. And it's, it's, it's funny, Brian, that you were just talking about um, people that's messed up. I was somewhere, I was 14 hours away from my house, so all of our people that know me don't try to guess who this was, but I was with a guy that um, we were in the car talking, he, he, he brought up the podcast that we do, and I haven't shared this with you yet, and he said, um, you know, I, I let him listen to, he's a guy that stepped out of his marriage after 
years of marriage and ministry together. They evangelized uh, all over the world, not just the United States, all over the world, well-known in our movement. And uh, he had an affair on his wife, and he left his wife, left the church, and um, just walked away from everything. I said, you know what, man? Um, let me let me let you listen to just a clip of this this episode here. And I played the intro to to Brother Jeremy Damesworth, which will will be out by the time this this podcast releases. And as you heard in his intro, he said, "We as Christians make it so hard for people who's messed up to come back into the church." We have made it to where they have to qualify and justify and jump through hoops to come back in and be accepted from the church when the church should be a place of restoration and healing. And I want I want all of our listeners to know, and when you come into a contact with somebody like that, Brian, just like you said, accept them, understand that there's been a mistake that's been made because whenever... Whenever that person needs you the most, don't be the person that pushes them the way the farthest. Mm, yeah, so good. One of the things, uh, if I can just say this real quick, um, a few years ago, there was somebody that came to church on a Sunday morning. I had not seen them for probably a couple of years. And I literally saw they were going to walk up to the front to pray. And I just had this, I don't want to say it was a vision, maybe it's probably my imagination, but a red carpet just like coming down the center aisle and then like walking to the front on a red carpet and i pray that i pray that we as a church as an organization will be people that will roll out the red carpet for backsliders when the prodigal son came back the dad threw a party yes and i i have such a burden for backsliders and that's one of the demographics of people that are really because i've walked that road and you fight through so many things to come back you fight through all your own personal issues all your own personal struggles you fight through the accusations of the enemy we need the church to be a support Amen. in that moment. Hundred percent. Well, Sister Megan, I'm not gonna try that last name anymore. But uh, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with Brian and I. Uh, we don't count it lightly. You've um, you've really opened your heart to us and our listeners. Um, we've laughed and we've cried. We've had a great time. But as we wrap it up, we always like to give our our guest a final thought, a final word, and uh, we just let you have the floor. Um, however, I kind of do want to direct it a little bit. Off air, you told us that um, God has impressed it on you to write a book. Tell us a little bit about that process. Um, I kind of told you about that moment on the Chicago streets where God just really peeled back a lens that maybe I always wear and just saw people for what they were presenting. I kind of saw them just on an equal playing field, whether rich or poor. And um, it was just a, God really broke me for people and gave me a burden for souls in general. But um, it was just a few days later, actually five days later, six days later, that I was sitting by my couch, reading my Bible, praying. I don't know where I was in the process of that. But um, I just had an impression. I I don't want to say it was an audible voice, but um, just had God lay it on my heart to publish parts of my journals. And so I've spent quite a few years now picking things out, just continuing to write. Um, Right now it's a concept. I don't necessarily know how to take it from concept to a finished product. I don't know what that timing looks like. I want to rush ahead with it, but God has kind of put the brakes on me many times. And so um, I do feel like the timing is getting closer. I feel I have 
a sort of packet ready. There's some people that have read it. My hope is that it will be, I don't want to write a devotional. There's so, we have a world, Christian world saturated with devotionals, with kind of self-help books. I want it to be a tangible representation of what it can look like to study the Word of God, what it can look like to dig into the Word of God, kind of how a random thought can translate into God really showing you something deep in His Word. Um, again, just to show people what's possible. Yes. And so... You never know what part of your testimony is going to bless somebody until you tell it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Since he kind of directed you with the book, is there anything without direction you want to leave with our listeners? Um, I want to say don't give up. I I really have just come to find out that people are fighting incredible battles. Most everybody fights a battle every day on some level. I mean, yes, we have peace in our Christian walk, but there's a lot of battles to fight in this life. And to not give up. Faith is hanging on when you feel like giving up. Faith is, you know, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith is not a feeling. It's a decision to just continue. And, you know, people may be facing deep brokenness or they may just be in the doldrums of life. Life feels boring, monotonous. You know, there's all sorts of seasons that we walk through. At the end of the day, the enemy of our soul wants to see us quit, whether he does that through sin, through yes. failure, whether he does that through discouragement, disillusionment, whether he does that through false doctrine. Stay true to the apostolic message. Stay true to God's process in your life. Um, just refuse to give up and refuse to be silenced. Um, I recently, I hadn't even really planned to talk about this, but I just real quickly in a nutshell recently read the story of David and Goliath every day for a couple of months. God showed me so many things. It's such a basic Bible story. You think you know it. And this is why I love the Word of God. It's layers and layers and layers deep. He did this with me a couple years ago with Psalm 23. Like, you think you know Psalm 23. He just like, it was like, I would think I'd seen everything I could possibly see. And then he just like shows you something new. But one of the things I really noticed about Goliath is that Goliath was very loud and Goliath talked a lot. There's a lot more talk than there is action on Goliath's part. There's a lot of threats from Goliath. But David talked back. David said the battle is the Lord's. David said, is there not a cause? David had action, but he also had words. And David ended up killing Goliath with his own sword. The thing that should have finished David off, finished Goliath off. And so refuse to quit and refuse to be quiet. The devil knows the power of your prayers. He wants to silence your prayers. I think we just have to come to a point, and I've made this decision. My voice is going to be known in heaven, and my voice is going to be known in hell. I don't know what the future looks like as far as ministry goes, but I want my voice to be known. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to be quiet. So I would say that to everybody else. Fantastic. Well, this is Brian and Tony coming to you again to remind everyone that there's still hope. Yes. There's still hope out there. And, and, and through any brokenness that you've experienced, you can still find beauty in your life. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. Amen. That God can still be at work in you. And this conversation highlights in me what has been highlighted in me since the very beginning is the importance of, even if you're not in a broken situation, the importance of showing mercy and being there for people that are in that situation. I'd like to encourage all of us 
again to be people that share the mercy that has been shared to us. This has been the Crucial Conversation. Break it down. Hey guys, this is Brian and I'm Tony and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation podcast.